This is a production of NTEU, Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I uh, would welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast, which we try to make weekly as much as we can. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, and I've also uh, volunteered to do communications work for Chapter 49. We thank you for listening. I'd like to start the podcast by just thanking all the people who listen and our list and that we've been checking our numbers and the number of people listening continues to grow and we thank you for that we thank you for finding this podcast worth listening to we also want to thank a number of local NTEU chapters that are sending out the link to our podcast uh, to their membership uh, so they can listen if they choose to do so or find anything uh, of value in our podcast that we uh, produce. Also, I want to just, we've done this again. I'll do it uh, one more time. We want to show our appreciation to Chapter 66 of the Kansas City Campus for citing us when they started their podcast series. So we, we appreciate the fact that we've at least given them the idea to do that. And of course, my, uh, my guest every week, and we wouldn't be the podcast without him, Chapter 49 President Duncan Giles. Welcome again, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. Yeah, you could do a podcast, but it would probably be uh, more informational and less smart aleck. <laughs> and we we do a, occasionally do that, okay? Uh, I, I, I just tell people, ask me, how did you start the podcast? And, you know, a lot of people put a lot of work into it. They put, put everything <laughs> together. Of course, I'd already set up an infrastructure because I, I do a, a series of podcasts that I already produce and have for several years. So I just remember calling you one day and saying, you know, what do you think about doing a podcast? You said, okay. <laughs> and we yeah, it was no- sort of like, you know, the uh, old Andy Rooney, Judy Garland thing. It's like, hey, kids, let's put on a show. Okay, <laughs> exactly. boom. And you and I have known each other for a while, so we figured we could do it, but we had no idea how it was going to work or if it would even work. We just said, we'll try it once, see what happens. And we got a pretty good response, and we've been doing it now for a number of months and uh, we've done it through the entire COVID was already with us at the time we started. So hopefully we will at some point be at a post COVID period with our podcast. I want to start off Duncan with a, uh, an opinion piece I posted on our chapter. By the way, I'm going to say a couple of things here about us. We have um, a, a, a Facebook feed. If you're on Facebook, just search under NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. Now, there's another older uh, one we couldn't find a password for, so please uh, use this one, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, and sign up, like us, follow us, whatever you'd like to do, because we posted a link today to an opinion piece by Catherine Rampell. She's been a longtime opinion writer for the Washington Post, a highly respected uh, writer there. And she made a very compelling case to fully fund the IRS. And she cites chapter and verse, IRS, even adjusted for inflation, is woefully understaffed today. Something we all know. But you know, Duncan, it is good to see somebody not connected to IRS looking at the facts independently and coming to the same conclusion to which we come. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Well, first off, I do want, I'd do. i be remiss if I didn't say thank you for keeping on top of updating that uh, NTU Chapter 49 Indiana Facebook page as well as you do, because we get information out very quickly, thanks to you. So that's appreciated. 
on that opinion piece, it is great. I mean, from our national president, Tony Reardon, to all, I can tell you, every single local chapter, whether it's IRS, CBP, HHS, whoever it is, you know, we're always talking about the need for more funding for our agencies, in particular IRS. IRS is the one that, you know, brings in more than 90% of the income to the federal government. And yet over these last couple of decades, we've just been starving the people that bring in the money. And it makes absolutely no sense. And even if we do get funding to staff up, you know, it's not like flipping a switch and everything goes boom right away. It's going to take a couple of years to gear up for people to get that experience, for people to do that, uh, to be able to go out, learn how to properly audit, learn how to collect taxes, answering phone calls, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, and I think another part of this is that even if uh, IRS begins to become fully funded, I, I, I've gone back on this history before, but just to remind people, the defunding of IRS really started in the mid-1990s because a certain segment of the, of the uh, elected officials in Washington were trying to change the tax system, so they tried to make the IRS the bad guy and put us in the worst possible light and tried to lower our funding, hoping that they could change the whole tax system to a flat tax or a value-added tax, kind of a national sales tax kind of thing. Um, neither, neither one of those really caught on because, well, I won't get into why, but there are lots of reasons why those systems are not necessarily the best. But uh, we did have a bump up in, in, uh, in hiring in the late 90s when there was a re reform of IRS that had some bipartisan support. But, Duncan, the thing that, I, I, that strikes me is that even after that, when, when we do get funded and we need to start training people, we have to take, for instance, if we hire revenue agents, we have to take our best revenue agents offline doing their jobs to train the new ones. So there's a real painful transition period, even if we get that funding. So it's not like we can turn it on a dime, but we have to start somewhere. And now would be the best time ever. Uh, yeah. Yesterday would have been the best time to start. I mean, it, it needs to be started immediately. But as you said, we're so, stretched so thin right now that, you know, when we have uh, people that are doing on-the-job training or expanding groups and looking for acting managers, you're taking those good, experienced employees, giving them great opportunities, which is I'm all in favor of. But again, that's going to mean less work is getting done in the meet, in the meantime, the near time. So it's it's a... It's, it's going to be a long process. No matter how you do it, it's going to be a long process. And we just need to start yesterday on this. So uh, we would recommend you read that, pass that around to people who may you know not agree with you. There, she makes a compelling case that IRS needs to be fully funded. And I think all of what's happening now, this talk about uh, infrastructure funding, the nearly $2 trillion uh, bill that passed the Congress because of the COVID emergency, which has impacted the economy and our health. Uh, there's There are ways to at least partially fund that. We don't have to borrow all that money. So look at that, if you will. It's on our Facebook page. And if you don't follow or like us, again, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. And thank you for the kind words, uh, Duncan, as we move on. Um, I retired from IRS in September 
of 2011. So I have never used the IRS version of Skype. But I, what I understand about Skype, I've used it a little bit you know, myself uh, outside IRS, of course. Uh, but Skype is, could be a very valuable tool. However, I'm hearing rumblings, Duncan, that uh, perhaps IRS is not using it the way it should be used. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, we've got managers and they're scattered uh, across the country. Uh, I had a uh, discussion, brief email discussion this morning with my counterpart out in San Diego. Um, and, you know, she was bringing up that out there, another manager was saying, you know, you need to log in every day so that management knows you are working. And, you know, sorry, Skype was never intended to be a timekeeping or attendance system. It is a system to be able to, you know, get in touch with uh, employees, fellow employees, your manager, your manager to get in touch with you, things of that nature fairly quickly. You know, there's, there's an older invention that if you need to know if there's an issue where somebody is or what's going on, um, most people are used to it and have heard of it. It's called a telephone. Um, and managers can do that if they're curious as to where their employees are or what's going on or things of that nature. But, you know, I've, this is something that we've heard of all across the country sporadically. It's not all managers, but sporadically, you know, them wanting to do things like Skype and use it as an a, attendance tool. So for those who maybe um, are listening to this and not familiar, the IRS uses Skype as a way of instant communications, video communications, uh, uh, instant messaging. Is Am I getting that right? Yeah, direct messaging. That's, that's the program that we use now. Okay, very good. So uh, bottom line is if your manager is saying you're not on Skype, therefore you're late, contact a union official right away. Abso-freaking-lutely. Okay. <laughs> and I assume they'll... You don't have to comment on this, but I'm assuming there'll be discussions about that at the National Agreement talks, which we'll talk more about later. There's discussions on just about everything, so I'm sure that'll come up. (laughs) We'll save that uh, discussion for later in more detail. Um, Here's something that continues to frustrate so many people, and and you continue uh, to get messages and questions from our, our Chapter 49 members about this. That has to do with the law that was passed a few weeks ago, allowing 15 weeks uh, off for a a list of reasons, many of them tied to COVID in one way or another. Also, recovery time from a COVID vaccination. You know, I, I had about a day where all I could do was sleep after my first injection. I got the next one coming up. And I'm hearing stories, if you had a bad, any kind of reaction to the first, the second one may be worse, not in every case, but chances are good that will happen. So some people are going to need some recovery time after the COVID vaccination in some cases. That's 15 weeks of leave for that and a number of other things. Even though the law is on the books, IRS, which is a by-the-book agency, I guess, Uh, saying we don't have the guidance to implement that from the Treasury or the Office of Personal Management, OPM. So right now we're just sort of in limbo, aren't we? We certainly are. And there are an awful lot of employees frustrated uh, in Indiana and I'm sure across the country. And I can tell anybody who's listening to this, 
that nobody is more frustrated than your chapter leaders and your national chapter folks. We are hammering IRS um, at all times about this to say, look, the law has been passed. Where's your guidance? You know, saying that, okay, it's if you get sick from a COVID shot and need to have time off, you need to take your own sick leave. But as soon as the, the guidance is passed, I'm betting that that's going to be administrative time, even though the IRS right now is saying, oh, no, you have to take sick leave because that's not administrative time. It's things like this that really make me want to drink. Um, you know, they've said that IRS has said the federal government is not doing anything on this. Well, you know, our national NTU has shown IRS um, that Department of Homeland Security, DHS, is authorizing two up to two days of administrative leave for employees who get sick after a COVID shot. So it's out there. We know it's out there, but because the guidance has not come out yet from OPM and Treasury, um, we're in limbo. People are asking me, well, will it be retroactive? We haven't the faintest idea. I have no idea. I've had my first shot. I get my second shot in a couple of weeks. I had no ill effects after my first one. Who knows what I'll have after my second one? But, you know, if I get sick right now, I'm going to be taking my own leave because that's all that's out there. And again, at this point, I do want to plug, please, you know, get a shot, whether it's the two, the two shots or the one shot. I think it's an important thing for people's health. You, you're not having to do it. You're not being forced to do it. It's not being mandated. But I believe based on from Dr. Fauci on down the guidance that it's a very, very good idea. And we'll get through this pandemic quicker if people do that. Yeah, I'm with you, Duncan. I'm no epidemiologist myself. Far from it. <laughs> Science was not my best subject in school. So, <clears throat> excuse me, what I do is read and listen to people who truly are expert. And they are unanimously saying that you need to get this vaccination if it's available to you. So I availed myself of it. I'm waiting for my second shot. It mine's about a couple of weeks, so maybe give or take a few days from today. But, uh, I mean, everybody has to make their own personal decision. As of this point, there's no requirement. As an IRS employee, you get the vaccination. But I would simply say, not don't just listen to uh, and read the people who are expert nationally and internationally. I would say talk to your own physician. Ask your own physician. I think that was uh, that's the best advice I can give anybody. And my, I'm willing to wager 99% of the cases where you're eligible, the physician's going to say you should take the vaccine. But it is still a personal decision. We can encourage you to go just simply based on 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 the uh, medical evidence that we have and what the experts are telling us. And you do get administrative time to go and get a shot up to four hours to go travel time, get a shot, travel time back. So you do get that right now. We do, you know, eight hours per if you have to have two shots or four hours if you uh, get the Johnson & Johnson one shot. So you do get time, administrative time for that. It's just right now, not administrative time for the recovery. And again, the uh, the 15 weeks that have passed for COVID-related uh, paid leave for you know people who are sick with COVID, quarantined, 
childcare, things of that nature. I, I wish we had information to give employees. And I, like I said, I'm echoing what I can guarantee you every single chapter leader across the country and national NTU is saying too, I wish we had the information to give you. I wish we could tell you when the guidance was going to be out, but we simply don't know at this point. And as soon as we do, we'll get the information out. Do we have any evidence at this point as to whether other agencies are going out on a limb and granting some of this leave? Is there anything on that that we know? Not that we've heard so far. The, the big thing that we've heard so far is DHS doing the uh, admin leave for the recovery time if you have ill effects from the shot. But we haven't heard anything yet on the 15 hours of COVID. We keep hearing that the guidance is going to be coming from OPM any day. Well, we heard that last week, too. Um, you know, OPM is in, a, is in a transitional state because they're trying to, you know, going from one administration to another and still getting things together. But they're going to have to gear this sucker up because we need to get that information out yesterday. All right, moving on. I, one subject you and I have talked about innumerable times during this podcast series was uh, the Trump administration's action to in the roughly the final quarter of 2020 not to withhold social security tax and when nobody knew what was going to happen and finally it took a a statute an actual law to pass to get this straightened out and uh, those of you who are employees of irs are slowly over a year's time paying that back that seems to be working out reasonably well unless you have evidence otherwise duncan that's what i'm hearing but it's, it shows up on your uh, paycheck as OASDI, <clears throat> which is Social Security, essentially, uh, withholding. Now, you and I had always wondered about this. What happens when you don't pay the Social Security tax in that roughly final quarter of 2020? Then you leave the service, or you have left the service during that time. Well, we finally know how that's going to work. Tell us how that will work. Yeah, it, it was, we like you said, we've been waiting for this shoe to drop for quite a while. Um, and the IRS deals with their paycheck through the National Finance Center. And there are several other government agencies that do. But, you know, this impacted uh, folks in the military as well. We're not sure. I'm, I'm betting that the guidance is all going to be the same. Basically, if you've either left or been in a non-pay status, you know, or retired, things of that nature, you're going to be sent a notice, a demand notice for payment by the National Finance Center. If you've separated, retired, or uh, missed because of being in non-pay status, or you don't have enough money uh, to pay the deferral amount. If it's not paid in full within 30 days, or if a payment plan hasn't been established, the debt will be transferred to a collection agency. So here's a pay, you know, deferral that nobody wanted, that we didn't have an option to say, no, don't do this to us. That now if you if you're separated, um, retired, things of that nature, and don't pay it within 30 days, it'll go to a collection agency. I, I I just shake my head at some of this stuff. And, and this is not an IRS issue. This is 
This is all the agencies that deal with the National Finance Center. And that was the question. I was going to bring, you already answered the question I was bringing up, is that uh, although we complain sometimes about how our IRS does some things, this was not an IRS decision. The National Finance Center's handles payroll for a long list of federal agencies. So it's it's all those agencies dealing with it. That's right. You're exactly right, Duncan. Nobody asked for this. We got it. Now a collection agency is going to go after you if you don't pay on the first demand. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, you've got 30 days if you don't call us or set up a payment. And I'm sure I'm sure the finance center will be have enough people to answer the phone calls for people who want to set up a payment. Yeah, no I'm, doubt in my mind. Yeah, we, we're getting right through on those uh, questions. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh, and and uh, well, we could talk a long time about this, but uh, I'm beginning to wonder, though, Duncan. Let's say you have left the service right after that uh, the, uh, the the deferral ended. Uh, how much money do you think we're talking? I never really thought about this, but. Uh, how much money do you think we're talking about range of amounts that might be due by these people who have left? I'm, I'm just wondering. I've really done the math on that, but I'm, it's for some people that could be a considerable sum. Others, it might not be. Yeah, I was going to say, you're probably, depending upon the grade, and again, it was only up to a certain income amount that it uh, did that, but I would say it could be anywhere from 500 to um, $1,500, somewhere in that range. That's no small uh, bit of change if you have to come up with it right away. Of course, I'll make within thirty days exactly. And if you make a payment plan, good luck getting through to somebody to get that done. Then the collection agency comes after you. Oh my gosh! All right, enough said on that. Duncan, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I started with IRS in nineteen eighty three. I worked in the supply room of all places, and we had a supply room in the old Indianapolis district. And I, uh, I just started, I knew next to nothing about copying machines. But it was my job to take phone calls from all over the state when people had trouble with their copying machines. And you wouldn't believe what I learned very quickly about copying machines. You know, I, I, luckily I was able to learn pretty quickly how they run and, and the various types and how you try to troubleshoot them. We're having a different type of copier set of issues now. Explain what that's all about. Yeah, basically what happens is, is when, you know, you've got employees that are working from home, teleworking, and they come in and they need to either run off copies or, you know, collect copies that other people in the office, it's their day to do that, that sort of thing. Um, and because of the fact that we've reduced the copiers, so many copiers, if a network copier goes down, you know, it's like, holy cow, this is, we are, we're not able to print anything. What do we do? And so it's like, okay, you put in a ticket. How long is that ticket going to take? We've, we've heard a lot of reports across the country that these are not being timely repaired. But IT is responsible. And basically any employee who has an issue, as soon as they see an issue with a copier, Put in a get service ticket for those repairs because it's 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 just one of those things that because of the limited number of copiers in a particular office, if it goes down, it needs to be fixed ASAP. 
So we're, we're encouraging people to put them in as soon as those get service tickets as soon as possible. And we're certainly not being critical of our fellow workers in IT. They're doing the best they can, and they're under right. a lot of pressure too. Uh, so they're, res- they're uh, responding as quickly as they can respond. But you're exactly. right, ever since we've networked these these printers and copiers, that has really changed the dynamic, has it not, of, of dealing with it. And the other side of this coin, Duncan, and you and I have talked about this on previous podcasts, NTEU has brought up numerous times with the management the fact that the IRS is really not willing to provide printers capable of printing letters to taxpayers or and or envelopes uh, to be sent out to taxpayers in their homes. So if you can't do it in your home and you've said it well, you're in the office once every who knows how many days and that day you're in there when you need to get these letters printed that you've been waiting all this time to print and you cannot get it printed, that's a problem. I mean, it just sets all your work back uh, so much and it's frustrating for people who are trying to do their work the right way. Yeah, it's just, you know, and this is one of those things where, you know, ever we're we're doing a lot of things by the seat of our pants during the pandemic, and this is one of the issues that has started to catch up with us, because you know printers are just like any other machine; they're going to need regular maintenance, they're going to need to be serviced, they're going to need to be worked. A lot of our IT folks are working from home, just because of the same issues that that are causing field folks to work from home. So, yeah, like you said, it's not the fault of IT folks, and they'll work the tickets as soon as they can. But, again, fewer people in IT to do the work means less people to come in and get that taken care of in a timely manner. And it just starts that uh, snowball effect that doesn't help anybody. You know, Duncan, I think when most of us applied for a job at the IRS, whenever that was, I could, we never thought there would be an issue working at IRS on cleaning wipes. But guess what? We've got an issue with cleaning wipes. Uh, I, I, I just I have no other comment but just to say that and, and let you respond and everybody else listening. But this was an issue in a weekly phone call or conference call that the national NTEU officials have with uh, a various uh, – high officials with the Internal Revenue Service every week. And this was an issue on this call that happened this week, the wipes. Tell us the story of the wipes. Yeah, basically, you know, one of the things that we hear from employees all across the country, not just in Indiana, but all across the country, is a scarcity of wipes when they come in uh, to the office. You know, employees want to try and do the, the best they can to make sure that their area or areas that they're working in, like copiers, um, are wiped down so that they can not catch COVID. Huh, who'd have thunk that? Well, the problem is twofold. One is our FMSS folks, who again, are trying to do the best that they can, are having um, you know difficulty getting wipes because they're, they're scarce. Because everybody across the, the country and across the world, actually, is trying to get surface wipes that are rated high enough in killing uh, germs that they'll kill the bacteria that is COVID. So, you know, that's that's the tough part for number one. The, the second part to this is, is, you know, if they have a box, uh, for lack of a better term, of wipes, you know, when you see the big boxes in the stores or things of that nature, 
because of the fact that people are in the PODs so infrequently that when they do go to get these wipes, they're dried out because it's been so long in there. So what FMSS is trying to work on is providing individual packs of disinfectant wipes um, so that they have them there, they're not dried out, and they be able to use them when they do come to the post of duty. Um, NTU is really pressing this uh, as well they should to make sure that we do have this. And, uh, you know, if you, anybody listening, if you do have issues with this, not finding a wipe, wipes are dried out, things of that nature, let your chapters know so your chapters can reach out to the folks in facilities and FMSS to let them know so we can try and get this fixed as soon as possible. Okay, Duncan, let's move on to another subject. And, uh, you know, you and I. You mean we're done with wipes? <laughs> I don't know. We, uh, if you have, I, I, you know, Duncan, you've, you've uh, had an entire career as a stand up comedian. I should just turn that issue over to you. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, that was my, that was part of my youth. And it's like, yeah, I never thought I would have, never thought I would have put, you know, wipes in there, but I could have done probably a 15 minute routine on, on wipes. But 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 you're right. It's not a, a, a mother, we can make fun of it. It is sort of humorous in one sense, but it's serious because we still don't know how much COVID can be uh, transmitted through surfaces that are not clean. I mean, we're I mean, there's there's a little less uh, concern about that, but it's not totally gone. It still could happen. Oh, and, absolutely. And so we do have to think about you know wiping things off. And people should not have to bring their own cleaning supplies to their office, although I think some people are doing it. They shouldn't have to do that, Duncan. Right. And that's the, it's a very serious topic and a very serious issue. But it's never one that you thought, hey, I'm going to work for the IRS and I'm going to have to think about, you know, disinfectant wipes. I don't think that was ever on anybody's mind ever when they decided to work for the IRS. Well, let's talk about something that remains on the mind of several employees. Right, You and I have talked about this ad nauseum, particularly as it impacts toll-free, but some other jobs as well, uh, particularly in uh, Taxpayer Advocate, the TAS operation. There was always uh, a resistance to telework, which we call uh, FlexiPlace in the old days is now telework. And now um, I think people are getting nervous as vaccinations ramp up. As uh, we're, we're and I, and I, don't, I want to warn people if you want to take a look at what could happen, look at what's happening in Europe. In Europe, they haven't, they've got another spike in, in positive cases. So this is not over. Now, they've had problems vaccinating people in Europe and, and all that. I'm not going to get into that. But still, the Europeans are seeing a spike. And even though we're doing a good job as a society in America, ramping up our vaccination program, uh, this is not over yet. So I think the as uh, we begin to move, hopefully, we don't know that for sure, hopefully to the end of the COVID era in terms of being a, how should I put this, a virus that could kill you, put you in a hospital for a long time. Um, IRS, of course, has been during this COVID period maximizing telework in toll-free, in TAS, in lots of other areas of the service where telework was hard to get. Even though we had this contract provision, there was a lot of resistance in certain major parts and a few corners of the IRS. 
So, Duncan, I think there's there's still these rumors going around or just this concern amongst people working at IRS in Indiana and, and probably nationwide. I don't think it's just us. Will the service continue to maximize telework as things begin to change if we are able to tamp down the COVID risk as the year goes on? Uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question, but I think we know the answer to one question. The IRS has shown they have to do it. They can. Yeah, that was always one of the uh, fascinating things that, um, you know, you heard that they couldn't have uh, assisters in accounts management, for example, take phone calls from home. That wouldn't work. They couldn't have employees in TAS. you know, be able to do their jobs from home because it wouldn't work. Well, guess what? They work. It does work. Um, you know, and right now, yeah, we're we're in the we're in the final stretch, it looks like, with COVID. The vaccinations are rolling out very, very well. Um, you know, we're starting to see more and more of the population uh get fully vaccinated or at least get at least one shot um while they're waiting for their second. So it's it's working. But our concern nationally and locally is, okay, we don't want to let our guard down. We want to make sure that our employees are still being taken care of. Are they talking about, you know, recalling employees anytime soon back to the office for, you know, because of this? And, um, you know, the national NTU has basically said, while this pandemic is going on, that the BODs, the business operating divisions, should still be looking at ways to continue to maximize telework as much as possible. What the IRS has told us nationally is that they are continuing to do so. They've not given us any dates about when they're looking at bringing, starting to bring people back to the offices or how that's going to work. We don't have any of that information yet, but we're, we're pushing on the side of safety um, and we do know that there's a senior executive routine that is required to review anything that is going to change in that regard. So we do know that it'll be looked at. Hopefully, they'll have discussions with National NTU before anything is implemented. It's just one of those things that we, you know, we're showing it's able to work. Is it working perfectly? Oh, heck no. But it's working better than anybody could have imagined. You know, even when we've had a lot of these cases in the service centers where they don't have portable work, where they are having to be in closer quarters than any of us would like, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's better than we imagined it would be. We just want to make sure that we continue to take every avenue, take every chance that we can to put employee safety first while the mission of the service is getting done. Don't want to get into any... Uh, possible language in a new contract, but under the current national agreement and any other uh, agreements that stem from that, what would the management's responsibility be to notify and bargain with NTEU over any changes in the current teleworking systems? Uh, My belief would be that once they are getting ready to ramp down from total telework, let's say. Um, Again, I would hope that they would have those discussions. When they decided to go to total telework, there were several 
discussions with National NTU on this. And they came to a very good meeting of the minds. It was a very good collaboration because everybody was putting employees safety first. And I would hope that that sort of thing would continue when they decide to start doing the ramp down. Are they going to ask for volunteers first? Hopefully they're not gonna say, okay, we're just gonna have a wholesale, everybody back to the office and we're going back to the old ways uh, just like it was starting, you know, back in 2019. You know, we're, we're hoping that it can be a little bit more enlightened than that. Um, and from executives that I've talked to, they are hopeful it will be uh, that way as well. Um, so we, we're just going to have to wait and see when that starts to occur. But as it gets into warmer weather, as more people are starting to get vaccinated, uh, as we build up that herd immunity, it would be at my expectation that there would be more people coming back to the office. Will it go back to the same as it was in 2019? I, you know, I think we've learned a lot in the last couple of years that we can put forward. So hopefully it won't have to go back to being that rigid. And let's talk about uh, the the new contract, uh, the new contract that would uh, go into, I think it would go into effect later this year once it is finalized. You're still uh, in the very early phases of that. You are on the permanent negotiating uh, committee for NTEU from beginning to end. Uh, and you're about to enter into week two of meeting over Zoom. Just again, yeah. and we'll make a cautionary note again before we start. We've done this before. We'll always give you this uh, little cautionary note every time we talk about it. Duncan is on the negotiating team, but it uh, is not a proper time to discuss the specifics of what's uh, being talked about. We don't want to negotiate in public, but we do want to talk in general terms about the talks and uh, tell us what you're looking forward to next week with, with, uh, with that provision in mind. Yeah, we're going to be in how uh, NTU does it is there are a couple of core chapter presidents, myself and Lori McCann uh, up in Chicago are the two core chapter presidents. And then they rotate in uh, four other chapter presidents and all the chapter presidents that we have lined up that are going to be rotating in and out are just great. And the ones that are coming this week bring a wide variety of um knowledge, different business units, things of that nature. So we're going to be very well prepared as always. We are, um, you know, our, the person who's in charge of our team, uh, national NTU vice president, Jim Bailey, our chief spokesperson, Ken Moffat, uh, assistant to NTU president, Tony Rudin, Doreen Greenwald. Those are also permanent members. Those three are also permanent members of the team who wonderful work. I can't, um, I, I wouldn't say this in front of them, but I'm sure they'll hear this. They do an absolutely fantastic job in dealing with this. Uh, that being said, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to another week of Zoom negotiating. Not sitting at the table across from somebody, but looking into a computer screen and trying to solve agreements. Well, I think anybody that's done training in this era or or even had a group meeting or some other kind of meeting i mean that doesn't last all day this is you're doing zoom all day that's tough yeah 
yeah, you start out with, you know, you'll do some caucuses where you will uh, meet with your own team. And we have those discussions right now. Ours are via phone. Um, but, you know, it's it's also difficult when when you're at a table and you want to make a point or ask a qualifying question. It's usually pretty easy to do. You can wait for a lull in the conversation or see when somebody's winding up. That's much more difficult when it's over Zoom. Um, in our meeting yesterday with the folks that are uh, rotating in, you know, Ken Moffat made the point. It's like, you know, we don't use the raised hand system. And he said, you know, can you imagine trying to, you know, keep Duncan silent? <laughs> uh, my, my only comment to that right away was amen, brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you a kind of a technical question. And maybe people who've used Zoom will understand this. There are various formats you can use with Zoom. One of them is it just picks up whoever's talking and the video shows that person. Or you can have little boxes and show everybody at the same time while you're talking. Give us a, a kind of an idea how this works with your negotiating session. Yeah, we're doing the Brady Bunch thing where everybody's in the late little boxes. Now, what really makes it interesting is because of the fact that we do, and thank God we're doing this, a lot of shared screens. Because when we're talking about uh, different articles in the agreement, every word is important. Every period, how we parse things, it is very important. Because if you have a comma someplace where it should be a period, that could make it a whole different meaning. So when you're sharing a screen, you know, then it goes down to you're just seeing a few boxes. One will be um, you know, the box of the person who is talking, and then, you know, it'll be a couple other random people. There's different ways you can play with it, but you're not seeing everybody at the same time. And so I'm one when I'm sitting at the table, I like to, you know, look over to see where everybody's head is at, what they're thinking, what they're doing uh, when these presentations are made. And you just don't have that opportunity when um, you're doing these types of negotiations over Zoom. And again, I make fun of it. I will, you know, do little things to keep myself amused, like changing my name on Zoom. But in reality, this is the best way we could have started because of COVID. I mean, it, it was either push it back even further or do it this way just because of the fact that we couldn't have people in the room. I mean, the only people I know that are in the same room are uh, Jim Bailey, Ken Moffat, and Doreen Greenwald, but you can see on the screen, they're properly masked, they're six feet apart, you know, they're taking the proper precautions. You couldn't have a group of, you know, 10, 12, 14 people in the same room uh, and still make sure that you're socially distancing and, and you know, not having that COVID uh, worry. So I, I, it's being done the right way. It is just a difficult way to uh, to do this. And although anything is subject to change, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you will uh, begin in-person talks in May. Is that correct? I believe it is May. Yeah, we've got uh, one more session after this one with uh, Zoom, and then we will go to in-person meetings. Hopefully by that time, Everybody will have had at least one shot or like, you know, myself, uh, too. I would I would imagine the vast majority of folks 
um, will have had both shots by that time and the all-important two-week follow-up while they're still um, still very susceptible to catching COVID. So by, by the time that we meet in person, it's sort of like Roger Penske saying, I want 250,000 people at the Speedway in May. That's actually a possibility if you get the vaccinations out. We are hopeful that by the time we start negotiations after the third Zoom session, that it will be able to be in person um, and we'll be able to take uh, you know, any proper precautions that still need to be done to be able to make it as productive as possible. Well, I know people listen uh, around the country, but most people from Indiana are listening. And Indiana, as of March 31st, is opening up uh, vaccination appointments to people 16 years of age and over. So if that is if that can be done quickly and successfully, that will be a big uh, signpost uh, for our, uh, people in our state. And I know other states are in various uh, places there. Our yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mine in uh, in about uh, mid-April and then, you know, the two and a half weeks. So by the end of April, I should be good to go. Yeah, you and I are about the same timeline on that one. Last subject for today and this week, uh, there was a, a very important uh, decision reached by a federal appeals court. I believe it was in Washington, D.C. A D.C. circuit is one of the most prominent when a lot of Supreme Court justices uh, are taken from that, that court in, that appeals court in D.C. It, it related to a... <clears throat> Merit Systems Protection Board, the MSPB, a case before them uh, was a NASA employee who was put on a performance improvement plan. And as best we can tell from the facts in the case, as I've said, and I haven't read the whole case, but I've read summaries of it, is that the man was away from his job because he was also in the military and because he wasn't there to do his job as his uh as I understand the facts, uh, his uh, managers put him on a performance improvement plan. And he came back and said, wait a minute, you know, I, I wasn't there. I have no drop in my performance. Uh, and so um, uh, MSPB backed the management on the performance improvement plan decision, went to the federal appeals court, and Duncan, what did that court say? Yeah, it, it sort of blows your mind that, you know, the MSPB was saying basically – yeah, we can put anybody on a PIP at any time. And then it's just, you know, if they're not doing the work during the PIP that they're supposed to, that's when we can take the action. And and this gentleman happened to be doing his military service during the PIP period. And they said, okay, yeah, you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you're out. What? Um, thank God the appellate court said, you know, we're going to apply a little bit of common sense, which doesn't always happen with the laws we both know. And it's like, and I love this, under the plain meaning of the statute, an employee must, you know, defend a challenge removal by establishing the employee had unacceptable performance before the PIP and continued to do so during the PIP. And it's like, how do you, you know, have unacceptable performance during a PIP if you're doing your military service? Yeah, just, so, to, just to clarify, PIP is performance improvement plan. Exactly. That's what a PIP is. And yeah, I mean, what's here's one thing that struck me about that case is that uh, uh, the MSPB, uh, in their in their infinite wisdom, said, "Well, you know, uh, yeah, man was on uh, military service, but his management thanked him for his service. Like that made everything okay." 
It's like, no, <laughs> you, still <laughs> you still didn't handle this correctly. And the law is very specific about it. And, you know, MSPB is supposed to look at whether the management followed the law. So uh, we have said as a union for a long time that the MSPB is not an employee-friendly venue. I think employees win their cases, what, maybe 15 20% of the time. So uh, find another And even venue. less, depending upon the, who the administration appoints the MSPB. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it uh, ebbs and flows depending on how the, uh, the, uh, the, the presidential appointments are made. So uh, we wanted to let you know that uh, the management does have a responsibility to identify the fact that you're not – uh, performing well, put you on a plan and give you an actual opportunity to improve. And if you have military service, that doesn't count. Okay, so we got that settled. <laughs> so, Duncan, I just want to add once again, uh, we thank people uh, for, for listening. Uh, I, I'm honored that so many people have chosen to listen to this podcast that uh, Duncan and I put on. We try it every week. We miss a few now and then. We do our best to make it weekly. Uh, if uh, you want to know how to find it or tell other people how to find it, uh, it's a, I do a, a series of podcasts on different subjects. Uh, this is one of them. So you simply have to, if you go to any platform, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, there's a whole list of them. I try to put my podcasts on as many as I can. So what you need to do is go on one of those uh, platforms and just type in Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N, and you'll see a whole list of podcasts I do, film reviews, some local podcasts where I live in Fishers, Indiana, but uh, just look for the ones labeled pod, uh, Chapter 49 Podcasts. The one that are lab- ones labeled Chapter 49 Podcasts are the ones uh, that uh, Duncan and I do hopefully every week. So with that in mind, Duncan, any final comments? Now, I just want to make sure that everybody stays safe. Um, you know, every, I, I, I am so proud of the work that the IRS employees have done during this entire pandemic. I mean, this has been a bear for everybody. And it, I, it, it truly makes me proud. I know it sounds hokey, but it truly makes me proud to see how much that we have done. And if your manager or executives or something like that are telling you, well, you know, you're not, we're not hitting the plan or something like that. I, I, I've told high level executives, screw your plan. Um, because this is an, unbelievable circumstance. I just want to thank everybody for the job that they've been doing because it's it's just been awesome to see how people are just striving to overcome this. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the work that you've done. And please continue to, you know, wear your mask, socially distance, wash your hands, just be safe. And I want to go back to that uh, commentary, the opinion piece written by Catherine Rampell in the Washington Post. Uh, I think it was posted today. And and basically her point is, how can IRS do the work they're supposed to do with the budget they have, the personnel they have? And she points out quite correctly that laws passed by Congress continue to pile more responsibilities on the IRS. So I think we're at a, a very key point here, and I'm hopeful that with all of your help, talking to your elected officials, following the rules, do it on your own time with your own equipment and your own software, uh, let them know how tough it is on you and how much IRS needs to be fully funded, and we will leave it at there. Duncan, thank you very much for joining me again this week. Uh, we appreciate our listeners, as I've mentioned before. 
all goes well, we will be back next week. So thank you for listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I want you all to please be safe and be kind.